Geek Out Collecting Podcast, where we talk about everything hobby collecting from trading card games like Pokemon and Magic the Gathering to comic books, Funko Pops, you name it, we talk about it all. My name is Jess, and for this episode, we have Will from No Excuses Will. Hey, Will, thanks for hopping on today. Glad to be here. Um, yeah, I was really happy when you had hit me up on Instagram because, you know, I'm always glad to have just cool other people on and the community ha in general, like Pokemon community has been growing like crazy, it seems like to me. So I was really happy that you hit me up and we can have like a new voice to the podcast. So it was really great. So when you would hit me up asking about Pokemon stuff and I was checking out your Instagram, I know it seemed like a, like a personal Instagram account that you were using. And then I saw you were posting some cards. So I didn't know if you had just recently got into collecting. Yeah. So my name is Will Chow and I am a Pokemon Go TikToker. I recently get, got into cards and investing and I've been a huge Pokemon fan for since I was a kid. So essentially I uh, played the video games, played red and blue, silver. And I remember like my parents were very much against video games, but like my mom caved. And then I think one of the first games I ever played was silver. I actually played silver before I played Pokemon red. And so, you know, that was huge. I played all the games until like, I think I stopped after Pearl cause they started to get really repetitive. It's like the same thing basically. So then I, I took a break and then, you know, in the last couple of years, I got back into the games, picked up ultra sun. And then four years ago when Pokemon go came out, I, I played that and got pretty into it. And then I was the only person out of like everyone I knew who continued playing. After like the first week, everyone just quit. And so it was just me and like one or two other people I knew. And I kept with it for four years. And uh, essentially I, I started posting on TikTok early in 2020 and tried all sorts of different stuff. Cause I also have like a personal development brand and like a blog behind that. And so I tried a lot of personal development stuff first and that just didn't take off. And then I tried skits and comedic stuff and dances and Pokemon Go really took off. So I knew pretty much everything about the game and I, I hit the level cap. And so a lot of uh, new players just loved it. And I uh, grew a fairly established following. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. I, I love that you've been playing. I think it came out, what, 2016-ish? Yep, 2016. Yeah, I remember playing right when it came out. And one of the reasons why I stopped playing, but I still have my account, like I, I've been picking up on it this year. There were so many server issues. I was always crashing. I was trying to like go to the Pokestop, pick up my stuff, and it just wasn't there. I was trying to like, uh, you know, catch a Pokemon. I, I just couldn't get it. The servers were just terrible, but I love how they changed the game now. It's so much more stable but so much more reliable and they've added a lot of really cool game elements too that just hella fun to play i love it it's so cool i mean you might as well if you're going somewhere and you don't really want to be there and you're kind of bored just hop into pokemon go and just see if you can pick up a, a pokemon here or two um do you have them all caught on your account since you're level capped no i haven't they keep adding new ones because they've been they've been very smart with rolling out each generation slowly and like all the legendaries. Mm -hmm. And now they have like shiny variants for most stuff. So I I've completed the first two generations, but some of the other ones are very difficult to find and, and obtain. So I'm, I'm uh, slowly working my way through. I, I definitely get it. I, I don't know if you know, are they still super regional when it first came out? If you wanted to get certain kinds of Pokemon and you didn't live there, you couldn't, 
you could never catch it <laughs> unless you ended up being there. Is that still the case? Do you know? Yeah. So there are regionals. They, they've added a lot more actually. However, there are, you know, there are ways of getting them if, even if you don't travel. Like for me, I got a lot of them just by attending certain events. Like they'll do like certain special events every week or so. And one of them is like, okay, this week you can hatch regionals from eggs. So that's how I kind of cheated the system and got a bunch. But um, sometimes, you know, a friend will fly to Florida or maybe Paris for vacation. And then, you know, that's, that's how I catch a Mr. Mime or they'll just trade it over. I'm, I'm a little jealous. I don't, I definitely don't have him. I don't have full Kanto, but so then with your TikTok, because you have such a big following on TikTok with uh, Pokemon Go, who, who seems to be your demographic? Is it just children or is it people that are a little bit older, like in their, in their twenties, you know, who grew up with Pokemon and just love enjoying Pokemon? Who do you think is your biggest demographic? Yeah, I think this is a, a good question because it kind of peeks into some of the, uh, Pokemon card investing stuff that I'm also doing that I'm sure we might discuss later, but I'm always kind of like subtly analyzing the, uh, the data and, and my, my comments. And most of them are kids. They're, they seem to be like 11, 10, 12, 13 years old, which is very fascinating. Uh, the demos actually split maybe 60, 40 male, female, which is also interesting because, you know, Pokemon as a brand seems to be, uh, attract both both sexes and it's also indicating that it's get, it's drawing a lot of young people to re-engage with the brand which is which is a good thing however there's also a minority who are 20 30 40 50 years old there's especially with Pokemon Go specifically when i play it and i raid with people most of it are people that are one generation older than me, which is very surprising. I do a lot of raids with uh, grandparents or parents. They're getting into the game for the first time. Oh, wow. I know that, you know, with COVID and, and everything, one of my friends, uh, what he does is he lives out in Nebraska. And so what he'll do is on the weekend, because especially early on in COVID, you know, no one was going out. Everyone was staying indoors like 100% because everything was super locked down. What he would do is he's like, by going out for that time was spending like 20 bucks on Pokemon Go and doing like a shit ton of raids with my friends and just like kicking ass and just getting all, getting all the, uh, um, all the rewards, all the crap and, you know, new Pokemon and all that stuff. And I thought it was really cool. Like, and, and that's kind of funny, like how you think about it, you know, instead of going out on a Saturday night, that money that you spend going out in the movie, you can now just hit up some raids with some, um, with some remote passes and just have some fun. I don't know. I love it. It's so, it's so random, but it's so fun. Yeah. I think it's, it's a little bit more healthy than like a normal uh, video game hobby because it's designed to get you to move and, and, and walk a little bit. Of course, in, you can do it in socially distant ways too as well. Go to a park early in the morning or late at night. Or for me, I, sometimes I just walk in somewhat small circles near my house. Uh, so that works too. But there, there are ways of doing it and it, it helps you be a bit more active as I found. And then, you know, they're adding new stuff constantly, like remote raid passes. Now you can raid from the comfort of your home. And I think, if anything, people just think Pokemon Go is like dying out or it died out four years ago. And it's not the case. It's People ask me all the time when they see uh, me on TikTok and they're like, is this, is this game still a thing? Mm -hmm. And it's actually like one of the most profitable 
uh, video games Pokemon's ever released. It, they, they're making billions of dollars every year from this. So it's, it's alive and well. Yeah, I remember when it first came out, those first few months, how much did they make? They made something like a few million easy easy with just all of the interaction because it was so mind-blowing that we were that was the first real um what do they call it augmented reality Mm -hmm. it was like the first real implementation of augmented reality and it was so much fun gosh i think the same company that developed pokemon go they also did a version of it for harry potter which is really cool because you can just hit those different segments but it's the same thing it's motivating to get people out there be social and be safe and well, not just be social, but also be active, I guess, is really what the word I was trying to say. So that's really cool. How many how many kilometers do you clock a week, you think? Um, I hit my record a week ago, actually. Uh, it was something like 51 kilometers. I think that's the most I've ever done. But uh, I would say my average, my average is around 30 kilometers a week. Mm, that is, that's solid. That's solid. Well, so... You said in your intro that you've been, you know, you've always been into Pokemon and um, you've been doing some Pokemon collecting. So I'm kind of curious, did you also collect a ton of the cards when you were a kid and then kind of left them in a binder and then reconnected with them as you got older? So for me, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! was the big thing. And then Pokemon came before Yu-Gi-Oh! And so there was a small phase for me with Pokemon cards. But it was it was very tiny when I was a kid because I remember I, I went to New Orleans for vacation with my family and uh, Pokemon cards had hit and I wanted them. But my parents were like, you know, they're too expensive. We can't get one. And then when you get to New Orleans, um, I guess uh, my parents were feeling a little more lax, especially my mom. So then um, she saw signs everywhere to buy them as we were walking around. And so she uh, gave me. She was like, you want to buy a couple of these? And I think I bought one or two, but then like the ones she could afford were always like the same ones, like the very base, yeah. you know, stuff everyone sees like energy cards. And so after like very quickly, I was like, no, no, thanks. Like, and she's like, are you sure I'm willing to pay for them? They're pretty cheap. And I'm like, no, cause they weren't actually packs. I think someone, the stores had opened them and they were like selling the individual ones. Well, they were re- and, huh. or just, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, individual. Yeah. And and so um, I got out of that phase very quickly, uh, and then Yu-Gi-Oh was a huge hit, and you know, huge thing for me. Um, it got pretty sophisticated with the card game and all the sets coming out, and the competitive play. So I, I stuck with Yu-Gi-Oh for like four or five years, and then um, I'm sure we'll get into it. But uh, this year, I I got into uh, Pokemon card investing a lot. Mm-hmm. It's brought back a lot of nostalgia. Oh, that's awesome. What have you been collecting so far? I saw you had posted a picture of a Machamp. You have a Machamp first edition, um, which I thought was pretty cool. What else did you have? And there is that all is that all that you've gotten so far or what have you collected? Uh, I've got a lot more. Um, so uh, I can't even list it all, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's, small stuff that I can afford with my budget that I, I, I think I would still be something like close to my heart. So, um, I have a PSA nine Mewtwo, um, PSA nine, a dragon Knight hollow. Um, and then some just, there's nostalgia stuff too, like ancient Mew, uh, mm-hmm. dragon Knight uh, with the satchel from the movie. 
Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's there's modern stuff too, uh, stained glass, uh, hidden fates, uh, legendary birds, and mm -hmm. then there's a few random base set stuff like uh, I have a polywag, and uh, yeah, some of it's nostalgia based because like I went to the movie and I really wanted the cards, but for whatever reason, uh, when I went as a kid, like they didn't have the cards there at that theater they ran out or something oh boo is but, that was that yeah. when they were giving out the first edition machamp at the movie or was it the pikachu uh that was the ancient mew and then the uh okay. i think they had a pikachu as well and the uh satchel dragon knight oh, those are fun gosh those bring back memories i can't remember the last time i I watched the first Pokemon movie, but that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad that you have like a little bit of a mixture between vintage and modern because I mean, of course, vintage is super crazy valuable. It, it's always been crazy valuable, um, but there's definitely some really nice gems in modern. I remember when I first started collecting modern last year, everyone was telling me hidden fates, hidden fates, hidden fates. That's like the way to go. And, um, and like, honestly, like hidden fates has been super, super great. I've not been gotten too much into the other ones like uh burning shadows um or or sword and shield like i've gotten a few of those cards but i guess like what have been sort of your favorite sets to collect so far i would say um in terms of vintage um i like base sets jungle mm -hmm. and rocket and fossil um i mean those are just pretty straightforward obvious as to why they're valuable and uh, so nostalgic. Um, in terms of modern, um, Hidden Fates is big. I'm keeping my eye on that. There's a lot of uh, interest in that. Champion's Path now is getting a lot of uh, interest as well. So that's a very hot set. And then uh, I, I also like uh, um, promos. So, um, you know, they're always releasing promos and uh, I'm I'm keeping my eye out for the 2021 Olympics promos. Um, they're probably going to release something with that. Uh, but you know, there's a few others that uh, I like as well. Um, XY Evolutions. Uh, there's there was a tag team uh, legend set where like the, there's like two cards and you had to combine them to fill well, the. And the, the artwork is just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that's that's those are the big ones. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, I had a conversation with someone, um, it was last year, um, and one of the things that we talked about is we kind of talked about whether or not Pokemon was in a bubble. Um, because one of the markets, and not so much lately, but prior to COVID, I was keeping an eye out on Magic the Gathering as well, because that's just been a really interesting, really fascinating card game that's been growing since what 1994 so it's been really cool to see it evolve and grow and um those supplies like the supplies of their sets seem to be a little bit smaller compared to pokemon and so what i found to be really interesting is especially with the modern sets like it seems like they were printing and printing and printing and printing and printing and and yet we didn't see we saw a huge demand a huge supply and we were still seeing the same demand, but the values were still holding. And so I thought it was very strange. I'm like, is this, 
going to bubble because there's so much supply. Um, I would almost feel safer if I were to invest, park my money in magic because it seemed like the supply wasn't as high or, or with certain sets a little bit more controllable, I guess you could say. So, you know, to kind of like mitigate your risk as an investor. So I'm just curious from, from your point of view, um, like what you've been seeing, because it's essentially, especially since you mentioned hidden fates and that being such a popular one and still somehow maintaining its value in spite of the fact that it having such a big supply, like what have you kind of seen in the market um, for, for that set, or I guess any other sets that you find really interesting? Yeah. So I've been, uh, really hot on this topic because I've, I've been uh, uh, gauging it as as the at a macro level as well as a micro level with specific sets and um, it's, it's an interesting question um, uh, I have like a background in like uh, investing and personal finance and you know I study Warren Buffett a lot and I, I love to like study the uh, data of like uh, like stocks and the history of them and, and bubbles as well. There was actually like a uh, poppy flower bubble uh, um, a couple hundred years ago. And essentially when at its peak, this flower cost more than a house. Um, <laughs> and then, and then it crashed, which was mm-hmm. catastrophic, but you know, there was really no utility in the flower. They just kind of, it just kind of kept building. Um, mm. So, it's, it's interesting. I, I've been asking this question to myself because uh, in 2020, the Pokemon prices have just been climbing and climbing and climbing more than, you know, previous years. And, um, you know, some people say, oh, it's because, uh, you know, uh, it's because Gary Vaynerchuk has, has been posting about it and there's a frenzy of uh, new investors coming in. But I, I don't think that's, that's the main cause. I think uh, cor- the COVID quarantine. Yeah. Because everyone's just inside and they're bored, and so they, you know, there's certain people who, I believe, still have a, a income and they're using it to to buy these cards. So um, it's, you know, it, it's an interesting question because it's with Pokemon cards, it's not the same commodity as a, a Beanie Baby or a a flower, uh, because um, first off, there's a big brand behind it. And uh, there's nostalgia, strong nostalgia behind it. Um, and there's, there's real demand there uh, with established collectors and even new people who are coming in. And so, you know, there's that interplay going on. And then um, people say like, oh, you know, vintage and modern or correlated. Um, and maybe that's the case, maybe that isn't. But I, I feel like a lot of people are just collecting modern and they really like modern, so they're not necessarily correlated. Um, I would say they're probably, it's probably not, and I don't know, I don't think anyone really knows for sure, but I will say that um, I will become fearful when too many people get greedy or exuberant. And right now, I think we're, we're doing okay, but it's starting to, starting to get somewhat exuberant out there. I wouldn't say it's, it's all out like, you know, ridiculous prices. Cause I think, um, you know, when that usually happens, like no one's really scared. And I've been seeing a lot of these like top uh, YouTube Pokemon card collectors make videos about uh, whether we're in a bubble. And if, uh, if it was a real frenzy bubble, they wouldn't be even 
no one would be talking about that. They'd just be buying and, and going crazy. So um, I think uh, we're, we should be somewhat cautious, but um, I think to a degree, the cards will retain value. I don't see a lot of certain cards ever dropping to zero. And, and the more, it, it depends on which card too. Like if you're getting more vintage um, and you're looking at like a first edition Charizard, like I, I don't see that even staying the same price. It's going to go up. It's never going to drop. Uh, <laughs> it's agreed. But if you're talking, if you start to step away from that and you get into like, you know, uh, not even a shadow list, but like a base set, uh, Machop that's, you know, starting to climb to $200 or, or 300 and it's not graded, like at that level, if it ever gets there, then maybe I would start to pull back um, a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very interesting and it's also, it can get a little complicated because supply and demand is not the only equation. I mean, it, there's strong equations, but like you have strong supply and, but if there's stronger demands, that'll just, you know, make up for everything. Or, you know, you have stuff that's like, take my, the, the ancient Mew I bought, um, that plus the, a lot of the other movie cards and a lot of the, uh, the Burger King cards that, that came out when the first generation of movies came out, those are like super old, but they sell for like $5 on eBay because there's just so much supply of them. Um, but at the same time, they printed just as many Charizards and just because the demand is so high, um, it doesn't matter that there's so many, like people are just snatching them up. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, interesting question. And then it, it's different with modern too, um, with hidden fates, Charizard and, and champions path. We are seeing the price drop as they're reprinting them. Now they're rolling out another reprinting and the prices have been dropping from like a thousand to now they're around, 400 mm -hmm. so you know it's that's that's my answer <laughs> i i totally understand it's not it's not an easy quick fast answer it, it's never clean and happy and easy like it, it's definitely hard but um I, I totally i totally agree with you um and and i think honestly like i i do feel like I started seeing things bubble up even before gary and then i feel like he noticed it and then he talked about it and then it just blew up even more. I think, I think a little bit of the prices right now are just like a teensy bit inflated for the time for this time right now. But I mean, in all honesty, like whether or not like a Charizard price right now is inflated, let's say hypothetically, you still have a Charizard. Like if you have something valuable, you still have something valuable at the end of the day. So even if it decides to drop, you know, even if the markets drop, one, two, three years from now, you still have something that is considered valuable to the market in general. So I kind of feel like uh, sometimes people get a little bit stuck in the moment and forget that there is also the long-term play um, just because, yeah, I mean, like it's 100% long-term play too. Even if you like lose 50 bucks now, technically, you know, like play the long game. It's always, you know, stay true to the path. Like just keep on moving forward because, um, 
when you know you have something valuable and you have something valuable, you know, you don't have to play the waves. I mean, if you're trying to maximize your money, playing the waves might be a little bit harder slash more important for you because you're just trying to max out your money. But um, I mean, I think in the long term, it's definitely, you, you still have something valuable at the end of the day. So I'm just kind of curious for you, since you've been doing some investing, are you, are you doing, are you looking at it from like a more long-term point of view? Are you trying to flip or are you just like enjoying getting into the hobby again and like, and like really going at it because you might have a little bit more income than you did when you were younger, you know, and you were collecting and your mom was buying those, uh, those energy cards and those like commons and uncommons, which was fun. Um, are, are you kind of seeing it as an investment for the future or in, in just something super valuable to keep? Or are you thinking about flipping in the immediate sort of short term? Yeah, definitely not short-term focused. Um, I'm uh, in it for partially the the love of the art and the cards themselves, and then partially because um, I see it as an investment play as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm a, a huge fan of business and, and that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, of course, uh, I, res I respect Gary Vaynerchuk. And so, you know, what he says intrigues me. And then, you know, I love, uh, I really got into the artwork and just the, the, it's hard to, I guess, nostalgia of the cards. So, you know, um, I think it just works for me and I would recommend anyone listening to like, you know, if, if you're scared of like bubbles or flips or, or, or stuff like that, uh, think, think more long-term. Like, uh, if you look at like Warren Buffett as an investor, um, he's a long-term holder. Uh, he'll buy something and he'll hold it sometimes forever. And uh, you end up making more money that way usually than trying to like jump in and out every like two weeks or two months. And that can be, you know, very scary sometimes. Like you might know something's going to crash, but you don't know when, or, you know, you don't, you might time it wrong and, and timings, you know, very important. And if you get that wrong, then you, you know, it could be an issue. And and the Pokemon, uh, I, I started to research like the history of the Pokemon card prices and there has been a crash before, I think uh, around two and a half years ago, um, the cards went up and then they they dropped to like half their value. Um, a lot of the, uh, the Wizards of the Coast sets. Um, but, you know, if you had held on till 2020, you know, they recuperated and now they're way beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it depends. If you're going to look at it from an investor standpoint, I believe long-term is better. And you you have to look at, you know, what, um, I mean, commodities are different from businesses because they're not generating cash for you. They're just like stone cold assets. And you're hoping that one day someone else will want to pay more for it in the future. So the question is, why do you think someone's going to pay more for this in the future? And so when I look at that question, then I start to really kind of hone in on what's, what's a good choice, what's not, what might be a better choice. And so, um, I don't know, I feel like PSA 10s are, uh, are, mm -hmm. are a huge hit compared to PSA 9s. And then uh, from, from just the artwork and nostalgia perspective, uh, I mean, 
base set starters. I mean, Charizard for sure. Like there's certain cards specifically that's just going to, okay. they're just going to work. Mm-hmm. 100%. I, I agree with you so much on that. Um, and, and what was funny, I was having this conversation before with someone else on the podcast. Um, and, and we kind of talked about something similar and he said, he said a similar thing, you know, when it comes to especially vintage, if you're looking to, to invest in something, get some vintage. Um, I know I would have said, um, like last year would have been a great time versus right now because the prices has, have jumped pretty significantly for a lot of PSA 10, you know, first edition shadow list, but even for, for the other ones too, for, for the unlimited set, like base set two, you know, all those really nice vintage cards have gone up in general in value. But I think too, like, um, especially if you're a new collector getting a graded card, if you're not sure what is fake and what is not fake and being able to tell those things, if you are not that savvy um, and smart of a buyer in Pokemon, get a graded card. If you can't, if you can't get a PSA 10, get like a PSA one, crack the thing open because it doesn't matter. And now you know what a real card looks like. And then you could just kind of keep on buying any first edition cards or any shadowless cards or, or whatever you're wanting to buy, but absolutely PSA 10s. When you see PSA nines, you know, those drop sometimes like to 25% of the value of the PSA 10, depending on the card, of course. But um, it, it's so crazy. I, I remember last year I started buying, you know, literally PSA 10 um, shadowless first edition cards. And, and granted, they're not crazy fan favorites. They were the cheaper ones at the time because I had like a little budget I have my little monthly budget and I was trying to stick to it, you know, mm -hmm. buy one card a month. Uh, I spend $40 here, $60 here. You know, I've got like my drowsy, I've got my Machop, you know, I've got my Bellsprout, like not really fan favorites, but still like nostalgic ones. Like, oh man, I remember that one. I, I really like that one, you know? Um, so I started buying a few of those and just looking at the market for those now, even though I don't plan to at this time flip those cards but it was still that that's still going to be worth the value even five ten years from now it's still going to be the more valuable ones versus some of the modern ones that are crazy overprinted like that 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 are a little bit more unstable and and what's kind of funny is that this kind of mirrors a little bit of the comic book market i don't know how much you know but um when we're looking at the you know the more vintage type comic books like the silver age the um uh the golden age comics like the older ones from the 60s the 70s the 80s uh like those cards tend to hold their value more than some of the more modern ones that are coming out that for example marvel and dc um have been printing uh just because the modern market is a little bit more volatile so it's a little bit more risky it's just a little bit more risky to invest but if you want to put your put your money in something that is going to be a little bit more stable because you want less risk then pay modern but you have to pay higher premiums that's just that's just what it is you have to pay a little bit higher to get in on the less risk so but it all depends on i guess what you're trying to you know accomplish so i mean since since you are into business and you are into investing, um, is Pokemon the only thing like hobby collecting wise that you invest in or collect, or do you have other collections? Do you still have your Yu-Gi-Oh cards? 
Yeah, so I, um, I mean, I do some like solid, safe investing. Um, so, you know, just nothing crazy, like uh, just like uh, what you would find if you, you know, read a lot of personal finance books and built the formula off of that. So, you know, standard stuff, uh, index funds, um, Roth IRAs, uh, stuff that I know is, is uh, you know, going to grow and uh, just a very solid thing to do. Uh, anyone should, you know, max out their Roth IRA. I mean, it's just, 100. just a given. Um, so very simple stuff like that. Uh, one day I, I do want to start investing more into like companies and individual stocks. Um, but right now, I think a lot of people are just playing that game on like Robinhood or something. And they don't really understand like how much research you should be doing before you like commit to something. And so, you know, it's a lot of more, what I would call speculating versus actual like due diligence investing for the long term. So, um, you know, I, I'm reading a lot of uh, business books and stuff like that and just kind of like building my knowledge there. And, you know, maybe one day I'll do that uh, with like, you know, afford a small amount of budget that I'd be willing to spend. But it, other than that, you know, no real serious investing outside of uh, Pokemon right now. Um, so, but, you know, you never know. Like, I uh, I guess you could call like some of my other side hustles investments. Like I tried out um, Amazon FBA for a while. And uh, mm, how was that? Um, it, it was interesting. Um, I think it was, it's a lot of work and uh, you really have to have an eye to spot things. And, you know, you have to have a lot of, uh, like the one I did, you have to, you go and scan stuff mm-hmm. and then you look for a margin. And uh, sometimes you go to clearance places to do that, like Kmart or Target. <laughs> and there's not enough, sometimes there's just not enough. Like some people live near 10 Kmarts within 10 mile radius. And uh, like, that's just not possible for me. So it was an experience. Like I learned from it, but I, I it wasn't a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a hustle. You're going out like, or at least I didn't do the Amazon version of that, but I, I have sold things on eBay and, you know, trying to find that margin. Like I've spent, you know, a decent amount of times in the clearance section trying to find something, you know, those gems. It's tough. It's a hunt though, but I can understand it's not for everyone. I don't, I don't do it on a regular basis just because it's like time putting into that is time taken away from something else. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that is probably a more long-term move versus like a short-term move like that. But I totally get it. I definitely get it. But please tell me with all the UBO card collecting and playing that you still have them like you tell me you have some first editions come on come on so i actually i i did have them for a very long time you don't have them anymore i i ended up keeping them all the way until um last year uh i ended up selling them all because um ultimately uh you know i had all these cards i spent like years building this deck and stuff and like perfecting it and um i wanted to see how much i could get from them and it was like nothing mm-hmm. um so i think you know i realized that they were just kind of taking up space and um for me Yu-Gi-Oh! it's like um it, it has a big place in my heart but um you know 
I got to a lot of like my deck at that point was like none of the nostalgic stuff. It was like all the like modern stuff that was like more competitively viable. Mm. So a lot of it was just like, you know, this is like I built all this time into it, but like I, I wasn't as attached to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I, that doesn't mean I won't potentially get into Yu-Gi-Oh again one day just for nostalgic reasons. Um, but if I do, it's more so like, like I want those like dark magicians and, and, and mm. blue eyes, white dragons. Yeah. <laughs> I know a friend that just got that a few months ago for like five ish hundred on eBay, but it might've been graded. I mean, those cards, those cards are, 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 are valuable for sure. I, I'm not super into that market. I don't know much about, you know, where those numbers are, but I know they have a few gems. So I was hoping that you had some and that, you know, when you sold, you were selling, you know, a little fortune. That would have been nice. Yu-Gi-Oh is a lot of, it's a different market. Like uh, I've been doing research on it and like most people are just like recommending you stay away from investing in Yu-Gi-Oh because like apparently there's not much value there. Like unless you get like, there's like a handful of cards, like a dark magician that are, that might retain its value. But um, I think they they uh, reprinted much more than Pokemon. Ugh. And, you know, they don't have that strong brand presence behind it. It was just the TV show, really. So, um, yeah, there's that. That's unfortunate. That makes me so sad when companies reprint. And I get it because they have their bottom line. I get it. But uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like there's some strength for a brand having such a demand that they have a secondary market. Like, I don't know, I, I, you know, you think of big brands like Supreme and, and Gucci and, and Prada and, and how big those secondary, I don't know much about those secondary markets. I know Supreme is huge. Um, I know it, it's crazy huge. And I know that the company itself doesn't necessarily care for that secondhand market because of how much they sell their clothes for. But like, there's got to be value in that. Like there, there's got to be, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think of Yeezys like they they definitely kept it scarce on purpose and that scarcity kind of built up the demand. So there's definitely something there with that. I think, you know, Pokémon at least compared to Yu-Gi-Oh, they did a a better job with not reprinting certain sets to death. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, I know it's hard for them. I, I don't know what, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you go about making those calculations. Like, okay, this is enough to be printed. I, I don't know how you do that. So I'm not even going to try. I, I don't really, no one really knows how to, but go on. <laughs> I guess that what's the magic number, but no one knows how many sets are out there oh, for man. certain, for certain sets. Yeah. For certain, for certain things, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like, I guess, I don't know, maybe to me, it those moves where they print to oblivion is a company just looking at the short term. To me, I don't know. I, I don't know what your thoughts on that, but. I completely agree. I think in the short term, there. I think baseball cards, from what I hear, um, and certain sports cards, they had the same issue. Mm-hmm. Like they were making so much money hand over fist that they're like, let's just keep printing more and more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think... Um, Pokemon and and maybe magic. I, I'm not really familiar with magic, but um, it seems like to some level they were smart enough to say, "Hey, let's let's just stop the printing because we know like some level of exclusivity and 
and value comes from the scarcity. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, most definitely. And um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you as well. Baseball, um, baseball was actually like the first collecting that I did when I was a kid. Like uh, my, my family's a super big baseball family. And so the nineties, like those cards were huge. They were huge, but they were printed to oblivion. So they're worthless, right? You have like tissue, you have a bunch of tissue just sitting in like a shoe box because that's how much your cards are worth. Um, I remember thinking that I had this really, really valuable card because it was like a card from the 1960s and yeah, it was valuable except it was a reprint. So it really was nothing. So I actually didn't have a vintage card, which made me really sad, but, but yeah, definitely baseball has been in that situation. And what's kind of funny now is I don't know if they've really cleaned up their act per se, but especially in the last few years, baseball has been making a surge, especially in 2021. You cannot find baseball cards right now. Um, There's just like non-open packs in your stores. Like my target has been out for months with like anything boom, honestly, anything. Um, I don't know how much you know about the baseball market, but it's really hard to find it, especially because 2020, I think partially that's because of COVID. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm I'm trying to learn more. So you're saying a lot of the modern sets are, are just disappearing off the shelves. Yeah, specifically for this year. And and um, I was talking to my cousin about it, and his theory is that it's because it's COVID, because this was a different like season. Everything was different. This is a longer playoff season. The games were different. Teams were not playing for a few weeks because you know they were quarantining themselves because they had players that got COVID. It's been such a shit show of a season in 2020 that because it is a shit show and that it's memorable that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, people will look back and and not necessarily feel that 2020 is special, but it's different. And so it's going to kind of like stick out in their mind. And so nostalgia. Oh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when the Sox freaking lost to the A's. I'm kind of sad about it. I'm a, we're a Sox family. So I'm like sad that we lost in the playoffs. Um, but. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. We were going to, anyways. So I, I don't want to talk about it, but, um, but yeah, so, so, so in 2020, like just baseball cards are really, really hard to find. Even basketball cards are really, really hard to find. I noticed like at my target, there were three packs for 2020 football and I'm like, well, everything else is out. So maybe I should just buy these three packs right here because those are the last ones. And maybe there's something here that I don't know about. I, I don't know much about football, like just just that market in general. Um, but in my head, I'm, I'm thinking like FOMO. I'm thinking, oh, I'm missing out on some kind of opportunity that's <laughs> here, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, but it, it's been, it's been really interesting to see the markets react to, well, the baseball markets react to everything. It's, it's been so strange. So, so let me ask you, are you investing in any sports cards? And if so, are you going for the more like vintage, like, uh, I heard Joe, Mar- well, you're not into football, uh, are like the Kobe Bryant's of baseball or more of the modern? Um, so in general, I'm actually not investing right now just because 
like when COVID-19 hit, I went super conservative. I went super like, let me save all my money. Let me pay off all my debt. Like that, that's what I'm on right now. And it, and it makes me really sad because I'm seeing all this movement and like, technically I have money to buy these things, but I'm being conservative because I want to be safe for the future. And, and I have these feelings of FOMO. So I know I'm missing out. I know I'm missing out on some low prices, but, um, I don't know. Um, when it comes to baseball, what I had been doing pre COVID was I was doing uh, speculation with newer players. So um, players that were rookies and they were doing really, really good or rookies that uh, people from the minor leagues that were going to go into the major leagues for their first year. And they were doing really, really good in the minors, like buying those cards um, car. I, I don't know how familiar you are with baseball players, but like Lucas Giolitos and um, Evan Lux and just these very specific players grabbing their rookie cards so that if, and when they, you know, rise to their full potential as a player, however many years from now, then like there's the flip, right? Then that's when you liquidate and, you know, like just take all the money and run. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but as far as vintage go, like, I think if I were to buy vintage, I would love to buy players like that. I enjoyed from back in the day that were really valuable. I think, like a lot of old school Sox players I really enjoyed watching from back in the day. I have those cards, but I don't necessarily have like the really, really, really valuable versions. Cause what baseball does is they have like cards that they'll print, you know, a thousand of, uh, you know, 200 of 250, 50, and then like the one of one. Um, I don't have those. And so I think I would buy those just for me. I don't know if they would be worth anything. They'd probably be expensive when I'd buy them, but um, I think that that would be just for me because I don't, I don't know um, much beyond that. I don't think you can honestly, like, because we've gotten, because we've had so many years of like pop culture happen. I really don't think you can go wrong with anything vintage, like, like, like NFL vintage, NBA vintage, baseball vintage hockey vintage. I don't know. I don't think you can really go wrong. I don't know. I think like those are just going to be the staples. Um, but I mean, time could prove me wrong. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I observed that like, you know, the first type of investing you did was like kind of, uh, it's kind of like risky, but like there might be a huge payoff. Like if one of those players becomes like this all-star, then that's going to work really well. But it's like the chances of that are, Mm-hmm. Kind of more slim and then you with the vintage stuff it's like more like seems like it's more just for your own enjoyment but you never know like it could hold its value it could it probably has a higher chance of like being less risky absolutely and and what's funny is that i didn't realize like when i think of cards i never thought of them as investment until like a year or two ago um and so literally when I think of like any card, I literally think of it as a stock. So like, so you're trading a stock, you have a stock and, and this is valuable and this could potentially be worth stuff in the future, you know, hopefully more in the future, like whomever might pay for whatever you're wanting, you know, more than what you at least bought it for. Right. So like with those more risky investments, I honestly think of that as like, 
or prospecting, I almost see it as like investing in startups. Like you're kind of prospecting, you're thinking that this startup might do really well and, and, you know, pay you dividends in the future because you were able to invest early. But, um, that's kind of how I see it too. I, I don't know if that, um, um, I, I think that's a pretty good analogy of like what's happening, but I love seeing it that way because if I were in, if I were in the business of short term, like flips, which I don't think there's anything wrong with people doing that, but I think of it as like day trading, like the stress, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I could not deal with it at all. That's not my game. Um, I, I don't know about you, but that's definitely too stressful for me. I'm too like, I don't know, high, strong or type A for that to not win every single one, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying with the whole, I totally understand like with the whole event, it's almost like venture capital with you. Like, like when you're prospecting the players instead of, you know, companies, it's players for you. And then you're trying to figure out which ones, you know, has, has got the, the X factor to, you know, take off. Yeah, exactly. That, that, Honestly, yeah, I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, venture capital. Yeah, that's definitely it. I guess maybe when I think of investing in startups, I don't think of venture capital, but that's exactly what it is. I feel so silly. But um, yeah. So then um, I guess for you, because like you do like to invest and you obviously have traditional investments, um, but then you do have the Pokemon and maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! in the future. I hope so. Um, but um, are there any other markets like hobby markets that you've been kind kind of keeping a little eye on and maybe potentially thinking about dipping into in the future? I mean, it's it's more of a micro market in Pokemon. So, I mean, there's two. One is I've been definitely dabbling in a lot of uh, modern stuff, mm -hmm. kind of straying away from vintage. And then um, I think there's a huge upside for anyone who's like, and this may not be me, I, I've been considering getting into it um, but it's spotting the right cards to grade from ungraded mm -hmm. and then buying them in bulk and, and sending them in there's a lot of pieces to that because it's you have to spot the right card that you know gives you a large margin of error like because if like certain cards if you can still get like a PSA eight or seven, you're still going to get that return on investment or at least break even. And um, then it's, you know, when you buy on bulk, you're kind of like mitigating your risk. If, if, if you get one that comes back a PSA four, um, but it's, it's something I haven't tried yet. Cause uh, from the research I've done from the YouTube videos I've seen, it's, it's a lot harder than uh, some people make it seem like, um, I know you had another guest on and, and he seemed to be doing really well with his like first grades of like some cards. Um, and I was pretty surprised about that. Cause like sometimes, you know, you, you get these cards that you think are, they have to be tens mm -hmm. and you send them in. And then, you know, sometimes it can be devastating and you get like a, a five or, or, or four or a six. So I might dabble in it, you know, at some point, but I don't know. I, but I think there's there's definitely people already doing it, and you know I'm sure maybe PSA graders or maybe they're doing it as well. But there's I'm sure there's someone out there who's um, doing it and doing really well with it. Um, I've seen a couple of people do it on YouTube, and you know you have to be skilled because something can look like a ten to you, 
but there's just some imp- hidden imperfection that only like an expert can spot. Right. And that'll tick it down. Oh, for sure. And sometimes too, I feel like it's the mood, the mood of that, of that grader as well. Sometimes I'll look at something that it says one grade, but I'm kind of looking at the card and I'm like, they kind of let a little bit slide here. Like, um, or sometimes in the reverse, like you get a really, really hard grade for a card that's actually in, in a little bit better condition. Um, which is why I don't trust populations of anything. The only population under a 10. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause people crack that stuff open all the time, Definitely. all the time. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm, I'm tempted to actually crack one open because I sent in a card for a Zorik, um, full art and something, um, uh, I thought I was going to at least get maybe a nine or a 10 and it came back a one. And I was like, what the hell? Wait, wait. So you got, you sent in a 10 or you, what you thought would be a 10 and you got a PSA one back. Yeah, I got a PSA one and I think it must have been something in the shipping. It must have been something in the shipping because there were these um, indentations. I don't have it in front of me or else I'd try and show you in the camera, but there were these little indentations on the top of on the surface of the card that like, of course, would get shitty grades. So either that day I was smoking something and had no idea what I was smoking or something within the shipping process or something like like messed up the card. And so I got it back a one um, that made me really sad because it was absolutely not worth it. But you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> so that's like hard to do. Cause like you'd have to like rip and stomp on that car. That must've, that's, that's a crazy story. That's mm-hmm. insane. Wow. I was a little devastated, but it, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I'm really excited though, that you're thinking about getting things graded. Um, it's really fun, but it's really, really hard. And, and sometimes too, with getting the raw cards and especially in this market right now, especially right now, there's so much fake cards out there, you know, cards print, printed in China. You can tell, you can, you can tell just looking at the listing sometimes, um, that, you know, that card is completely fake. The hollows are not right. The margins, the edges aren't right. Like so, so there's a lot of risk, not only in figuring out whether or not you have a high quality card, but then also sometimes too, if you're not experienced enough, you could buy fake cards get a really good deal. Oh my gosh, this, you know, $30 card that's normally a hundred dollars. I'm going to get that right. That's, that's a good deal. I need to grab on that. But sometimes you're just getting hosed. You're just getting completely hosed by a fake card. So it, it's tricky, which is why I normally tell people if they're not sure, you know, like I said, get a PSA one, get a PSA two or a four that you don't care about cracking open and that it's a good deal because it's so low quality. But now you have like that first edition card that you know what it's supposed to look like. You know what the colors are supposed to be, what the font is supposed to be. Um, you know, you, you can see all those things and you have it. So then you can compare for, you know, if and when you try to buy those raw cards. But I think sometimes though it's fun sending sending to PSA. Um, if you do that, you have to post. I want to see. I want to see what you have. Um, is there anything you're thinking about getting graded right now that's in your collection? Um, yeah. So I'm only going to send in like my most mintiest stuff, just because like it gives me a margin of error. And I think the mintiest thing I have is um, a couple of those hidden fate uh, stained glass legendary birds. Ooh, so well- I might. 
You need to post. I might send those in, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think what I'll do is I'll wait until I get like, um, maybe a lot more uh, research and experience. Just kind of like, because uh, it's it's a, it's such a skill, you know, creating these cards. So I I might just like give it a few months where I'm just doing a lot of research on like, you know, what makes a card a ten, what makes a card a nine. Watch a bunch of YouTube videos, you know, be able to spot fakes. To your point, you know, because. That's also something that I'm scared of. Um, and then once I get good at that, uh, I probably will send in some stuff um, and, and see what happens there. But um, I mean, I just, I also just love the feeling of that PSA case. Like I feel like the card's more protected. It just feels more comfy. And I also see um, my cards as kind of like uh, artwork more than just like stuff to like put into like a box in your attic. So I'm also like starting to uh, buy like picture frames and stuff so I can like, like hold the card on the the wall or something like. Yeah. I've seen people do custom stuff. Uh, they'll go to like a Hobby Lobby or something like that and get like custom things made for their cards. It's really, really nice. Actually, those displays, those are really nice. But, um, but yeah, uh, I'm really glad that you're, you're getting interested in the graded cards. I love the graded space. I, I, I love it. It just makes you feel so good about the cards because, um, well, the first thing is like when newbies are starting off and they want to get their cards graded, um, getting a graded, getting a card graded doesn't make it more valuable unless it's already valuable. Um, so they think like, oh, you know, this card is going to be worth a hundred dollars. Like I got it for five bucks. I'm going to get a grade. It's going to be worth a hundred dollars, but it's just like a, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't really valuable to begin with. So it doesn't add value, but, um, I do like it when people get cards graded, even if it's not going to make it more valuable just because they like that card a lot. It's old. They want to keep it safe. And that's probably the best way to keep it safe. It can still kind of warp inside depending on where you store it, like in too much heat or in too much cold. But I don't know. I love graded cards. Those are, those are my jam. Anything graded. I love it. I, I think, um, in terms of like pricing, like I've been looking at like the history of a lot of uh, cards with different grades and it seems like the tens just rise a lot more than anything else mm -hmm. so so it's kind of like i made the mistake of like purchasing some nines because i thought like i can't afford the tens but like when i look at like the the charts i'm like oh maybe i should have like gotten the 10 or of something cheaper because like mm -hmm. the the tens just rise so much more in value than anything else like Mm -hmm. I guess people just prefer the tens if they if they're gonna get something, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I think I think the other thing too is if you're thinking about buying something and then flipping ten years from now because you think it'll be a good value at that time, and you're not trying to do short term, you're just trying to like flip later, you know, because that's what happened. People do that. They they sell their old collections, you know, when they're older. But um, the other thing too is that even though PSA 10s are definitely like, that is the gold. Um, sometimes uh, if you're trying to liquidate a PSA 10 and the price point is super high, cause that's what it's worth, but there aren't always buyers 
that are ready to, you know, relieve that card from you. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of have to keep in mind. Like if you, if you want to truly keep a 10 and have the most valuable thing, do it. Um, but if you want to potentially like sell in the future, a PSA eight, a PSA nine is still going to be worth more than probably what you bought it at. Um, but it might also be easier to get rid of because like exactly what you did, you, your price point wasn't in the PSA 10 range you thought, you know, so people are going to be a little bit more willing. Like if you see a PSA 10, that's like a thousand dollars, but then you see a PSA nine for half that you're like, Oh, okay, well that's a little bit cheaper. That's a little bit more affordable. I think, you know, for myself, like, let me get that one instead. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. It, it's never super straightforward. I mean, you're going to probably find buyers for everything, but I guess what I'm trying to say is don't feel bad about your PSA nines. What'd you get? Um, it, it was what I mentioned earlier, the dragon knight and the Mewtwo. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. I love the ancient me. Oh no, no. You said Mewtwo, not ancient Mew. Um, no, still great cards. Is it actually, is it the, uh, the 1997 Mew? Is it this guy? I right? think so. Yeah. 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 Yep, this that's the one card I got graded. PSA 8. I remember I bought it from a secondhand shop um, close by to my house and I got it for like maybe seven bucks. Cool. Wow. Cool. It was like, it was seven bucks raw. And the guy that was checking me out, he literally held it and was like folding it as he was like thinking about like the cash register and all the things. And he was like fidgeting oh, no. with the card. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop that. Oh my gosh. I, I was, that was an interesting experience, but I was still happy about the grade because there was a lot of scratches on the hollow. And I knew that when I was buying it, but I, I just wanted it. I just wanted it and mm -hmm. I wanted to preserve it. So it was still worth it. So you got it graded yourself mm -hmm. like after, wow. And that's a pretty high score. Eight. I'm, that's, I'd be happy with that. Considering the guy was like flipping it up and down. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. The margins are actually not bad. Um, I, like I said, I think, I think part of the reasons why it got an A was, well, okay. So the, the top and bottom margins are kind of terrible, but, um, I think mostly it was the hollow, um, the scratches on the hollow, which made me super sad, but you know, it is what it is. It was really expensive to get it graded the first time around. I think, um, I think at the time, which was a few years ago, it was like $32, but that didn't oh, include wow. shipping back and forth. So what I decided to do is that's really expensive. Um, yeah, I definitely wasn't going to flip or do of any kind because there was no margin in that. Um, so what I did after that is as I got into the Pokemon community on Instagram, I started, I didn't realize this was a thing, but um, kind of going to a middleman, going to a middleman, he'll rate, he'll have like his prices for however many cards that you send him. And he has a premium account with, um, you know, PSA or Beckett, and he gets it for an even better rate than you would have gotten it by just selling it as an individual. So he'll send it in for you and you pay him at his rate, which is going to be cheaper. Um, I mean, I think depending on the volume of cards, I want to say I made, I, I paid around like nine, 10 or $11 per card. 
for when I was getting a bunch of cards graded, but definitely cheaper than the 32 that I originally paid. So if you get them graded, um, I would try to find a trusted uh, middleman that can send them in for you and, and, you know, has good reviews and you feel like he'll be good to go. Um, I went with Magno and uh, he's Pokemon card madness on IG. He's really good. Um, he's a really great guy. I had him on the podcast. Wow. I didn't know that. I will definitely keep that in mind. I thought middlemen were only for like, like super rich people, but yeah, I'll definitely keep that in mind. I didn't know you could like do that. So yeah. Yeah. It, it was really good. It was really good. Um, definitely suggest it. Now you can pay like the premium account, like, like, so those guys that buy in bulk and then send it out to get graded, they probably have the premium account. And so you get like free cards, but I think the membership is like $200 a year. So depending on how serious you want to get, you could, you could, um, you can get some pretty good deals. So just kind of depends, but, but that's glad. I, I'm, I'm glad that you are getting cards graded. You have to post it. Like I only saw the Dragonite and I think a handful of those other cards, you've got to post your grades when you send them your minties. Yeah, I, I probably will. Um, it won't be for a while though. I I'm still, I'm very into like, uh, just getting what I can right now. So Sometimes it's just ungraded, you know, and then, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been purchasing, picking up a lot of ungraded stuff recently. Like I got my first ever base set hollow blast joys, really happy about that. Oh my gosh. And that one's very mint. Well, I'm I, a nine, maybe yeah. okay. it's, it's fairly minty. So I don't know. I might keep it as is. I might grade it. I don't know. Cause what if it comes back before, you know, yeah, to post it, post it to IG and ask what people think. Honestly, that, that might be the best way to find out if you have a good card that's worth grading. I think I would still get the Blastoise graded regardless. Cause it's a Blastoise, you know, it's a key card, but, um, you might, you might get some really good feedback from people that are much smarter than me that are much better at finding those gems. So do you, um, do you know what the best way to like ship it is? Cause I, I've gotten the packages back when I buy them in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Mm. Yeah. Um, sellers, <sighs> sellers can definitely sometimes not be very good at packing. Um, this is kind of how I do it. Um, so sorry, I, there's so much noise that my, um, my microphone is picking up, but what I do is I have penny sleeves and um, I'll actually, um shoot do i have a card here um and those are sleeves you can buy for a penny right they're, they're, they're a penny they're a penny a sleeve so you can usually get them for a buck two bucks for like a hundred um at like your local uh tcg store um but this is this is what i like to do so i'll pretend this is a card because this is definitely just a divider um what i'll do is i'll put this is the card uh like the top of the card, I will actually put it in the sleeve uh, pointed down. And the reason why I do that is because when I then ship it, I'll put it in one of these um, hard cases, those, these hard ones. Um, there's not much space in them, so you can't put in cards that are too thick in here. But then what I'll do is I will then put the card like this. Um, so I have... So the open part, gosh, my mic is picking up so much noise. So that the open part 
is where the top of the card is and and the open part for the actual penny sleeve is at the bottom. So then what happens is, is it prevents dust from getting into the card. Um, but then when I actually ship it, um, what I'll do is I'll tape the top to prevent it from moving because sometimes what'll happen is the card will move inside the hard case and it'll scratch. Um, so you don't want that. Um, so when I send it in, I'll send it in, um, like if I'm shipping it out to my person, I'll send it in a stack and then I'll have cardboard at the top and the bottom and then I'll tape it and then put that in like a, like a bubble mailer, like whichever thing fits better. Um, a bubble mailer is usually what I'll send these guys in, but I'll have it, I'll have it in a penny sleeve and a hard case. Um, and that's, and that's probably uh, the better ways to do it. PSA actually has their own, have their own card savers um, that you can get as well. Um, they're just not the hard cases, um, so to prevent any bending, but that's how I try to ship. I, I hope that you haven't had any like shipping nightmares with the cards that you've been buying, but like you need to, you need to, uh, sellers or anyone shipping needs to make sure that even, even with something like this, with a PSA, um, case you still want to have cardboard like it attached to cardboard and then wrapped and then put in a bubble mailer just because i mean those cases can still crack and it'll be sad if you know in shipping <laughs> you get it with like this big crack down the middle so yeah i think it's it's interesting i've gotten all different types of stuff like sometimes it'll be but I think the cardboard solution, like that for sure, those are the ones where I open it. I'm like, okay, this is probably secure mm -hmm. the most. Um, it's interesting because like sometimes the cheapest thing I'll buy, that will have the cardboard. Or then sometimes I, like, I'll get something without anything. Like I got one, um, I, I bought a base set, two Charizard ungraded and a few other cards. And I think that just came in just a bubble wrap, um, the bubble mm -hmm. container. Oh, like, did it come in sleeves at least? Like, um, I think it came in, it might have came in like a sleeve, uh, but it was like one sleeve for all the cards and then the bubble package, like the, the yellow thing here, like a, like a yellow foam uh, oh, okay. wrap. And so... It was surprising. It's like some of the more expensive cards, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. And then sometimes the, the cheaper cards, like they'll have it like locked down with the cardboard. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, that, that makes me so sad when, um, especially when you're selling higher ticket items that you're not making sure that they're well kept. I, I'm sure it's probably out of ignorance in all honesty, but Oh, that just makes me so sad. Uh, I'm glad that you got everything in good condition <laughs> or as good a condition, I guess you could get, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't notice any, um, any issues with them, but I'm still relatively new to the game. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Hey, well, you know, I mean, you, you learn along the way, you learn along the way. So, um, but like, other than that, um, Shoot, we've talked about so much. Um, was there kind of anything else that you wanted to touch on that, that, I mean, so I think it's really cool that you've been podcasting. You've been pod podcasting for like 
since 2016. So you are much more pro at this. I, I'm sure I can learn things um, for you when it comes to podcasting. But like, you know, I was just kind of curious um, because I know you have this personal development brand and I'm guessing that was part of the motivation to, to you know, expand your content and your brand into the podcasting world. How has that been? I mean, shoot, 2016, that's some um, consistency and that's some work, I would say. Yeah, so I think the, yeah, you're right. I think I, I started with um, kind of YouTube and a blog with that brand and then added on stuff as the years went on. And uh, podcasting, I think, you know, I think people have, I think they're still underestimating it a bit. It, it's definitely gotten more saturated over the years, but even in 2016, like people were saying, Oh, it's, it's too late. It's, it's saturated because podcasts had started long before then, like, I don't know, like 2010. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, uh, I think ultimately, uh, you know, people like this new medium, you know, they, they're just spending a lot more time just listening to stuff rather than watching a video, you know, cause you can do it while you're taking a shower, exercising, taking a walk. So um, it's, it's definitely a different type of kind of style. Like every platform has a certain style, like TikToks, it's very fast. You have to catch their attention. You got 15 seconds um, and you have to go quick mm -hmm. uh, with podcasts. You know, people, they're ready to kind of sit in and listen to you for the next hour or the next half hour. Well, and they're probably going to be going, but so it's, it's also about like seeing them where they are. Cause uh, I think you have to realize like what they're doing and like how they're going to consume it. Cause some people will listen to it at two times speed. So you have to put that into account too. Um, but it's, it's been fun. I think it's, it's, it's a great way to kind of just take your time and, and talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love how, especially with podcasting, it's a great time to just sit down and collaborate and talk about something. And I love it when people do crossovers, like when you find like one creator that you've really enjoyed on YouTube and, you know, you usually have like five, six or 10 different creators that you really enjoy their opinion on video games or, or like, you know, just, just some topic that you enjoy. Right. And then like all of a sudden you see those creators collaborating and they're, for example, in the same space or similar spaces. I love seeing that. Um, like recently I just gotten into, um, so I'd actually been watching her YouTube for a while, but I just recently came across the fact that she had been, um, her name is Fear Hunter and she does YouTube and she's in like the survival horror video game space. So she talks about like Resident Evil, uh, Parasite Eve, um, you know, all of those fun games that she's always enjoyed. And because Resident Evil has been doing, you know, remakes recently in the past few years, she's been getting on podcasts and doing live streams with the voice actors, which I think is the dopest thing in the whole entire world like like how can you not fangirl over you know yeah like like with the creators I, I don't know I just think that's so much fun and 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 when I saw that like like the the live streaming the podcasting because like I kind of see it in both ways like I would have still listened to them even if I didn't have the visual because they were just that entertaining like I, I, I just think that adds just a whole nother layer to the content. So I've been 
really trying to to focus on how people are are making it interesting like that because that's so niche right that's so niche but that's so engaging you don't need like you don't need like 1 million fans for that to be successful and that is like your full-time gig i would love like if that was my thing if i if i love survival horror games i can't play them because i'm a chicken shit but if that was my thing and i could get on on the phone and like play the game with the voice actor that was in the game and that was my job i'm done that's awesome that's awesome. I, I will say it's probably a little easier than you think to get um bigger guests um there's a certain prestige that comes with having your own podcast show uh i do a lot of uh reach outs to like guests and stuff uh for my my podcast and um the more niche you are and the more, you know, the more sincere you are, like you'd be surprised. Like I've had some, some big authors on and some YouTubers on like, uh, Timothy Chatterangsu, formerly known as De La Ghetto, um, uh, and a few authors to like big personal development books. And it's, it's cause I, uh, I was niche. I I'm personal development for Asian American men. So, mm -hmm. So there's that, and then I have a podcast, and that's a platform for someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? That's a really good point that you do bring that value in the way because you are just another way to to reach. Like you do have a platform, and then also your platform specifically reaches out to a certain niche, a certain a certain uh, you know percentage of the population. So if that's someone in your target market, I mean, absolutely you're you're valuable in that sense i've never thought of you know i don't know interviewing uh bigger people just because like i i've just grown around me and just tried to build relationships but you know it makes me nervous i don't know i think i might be putting like bigger more famous people on a pedestal <laughs> and then this is just me being a little bit nervous but um you know, I don't think that that's a bad idea. I'm, does it ever kind of, do you ever get intimidated to be on the phone with someone, you know, famous, I guess? Um, a little bit. I, I get excited and nervous. I mean, with the, the uh, Timothy uh, De La Ghetto, uh, well, now he likes to be called Chaturangsu. Um, I've been watching his YouTube channel since. But yeah, he's been around for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. I, I was a huge fan of his and he's been around for a while. Uh, but you know, I think since I've just, um, I don't know what it is. I, I've studied and done enough of them that I just know that they're regular people at some point, you know, Tim made it easy. Cause like he'll joke around and he'll, the guy that he is, is the guy that he is like, yeah. Oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll be a little bit anxious about, it, but like sometimes it'll just happen naturally. Like maybe you just keep making podcast episodes and it, you, it starts growing and it gets big. And then they ask you to be on the show and then you start talking to them in the first few interviews or you're a little nervous. But then after a while, you're like, oh my gosh, they're just like regular people mm -hmm. trying to make it, make it by in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I, so yeah, I really did not realize that he changed his name, but I remember that dude. I remember watching him in high school. I remember him being his crazy little silly self with Rick. Oh man, they're skits. 
funny. I haven't watched him in a while. Um, um, just, I, just cause I, I don't know, I'm so busy. And, and you, you, sometimes I feel like I pop in and out of certain kinds of content with certain creators. So like, I'll be really into them for, same, same. for a while. Um, and then rediscover them. Cause like they were still awesome, but that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. He's definitely really, really big. Um, do you just email them? <laughs> Yeah, so you have to find out like what do they check the most that you can actually get, and and the internet's made that much easier than it was in the past. Like, mm-hmm. like you probably couldn't reach the Resident Evil voice, uh, you know, twenty years ago. That would have been tough to do because you'd have to go through I don't know WB Studios. Now you could DM them in Instagram. You can code email them off their website. Um, I would say those two work the best, but it just depends on the person. Like I didn't go that route with Tim cause he has too many followers on Instagram. He's going to be blown up, but sometimes you, you'll find these like weird pockets, you know, sometimes like a very famous star has a small Instagram following for whatever reason. And they would check all their DMS. Like, I don't know, like, uh, the cast of Cobra Kai, they had they have a huge following from Karate Kid, but they're new to Instagram. So some of them only have like, uh, like uh, John Reese, uh, John Kreese is the character's name. I don't know his real name, but I think he only has thirty k followers on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so there's it, it just depends on the person, but sometimes it's through their business email, sometimes it's through their Instagram. Wow, so you've planted a little seed. And so now I might take it and run with it. Um, Huh, that is super interesting. But I mean, that's really awesome, though. Um, It's really great to see that, you know, you've stuck with it and you've been like really disciplined about it. I've not been as disciplined about it, but I feel like I take it as a little bit of a calculated risk because, you know, again, it's like if I take my time from one thing to another. Like if I put my time in one thing, I'm taking my time out from another thing. And right now because of COVID and because just my interest and in, in where I'm going, I've been finding myself, um, I, I've been finding myself building web applications. I'm actually like not like an official software developer. I kind of do it in my day job, but I've been applying it to web development specifically and i've been like building things that are in like things that solve my problem so i'm like huh maybe this will solve someone else's problem if i just make it available to everyone uh so for example i've been working on a um an ebay profit calculator because i know a lot of people who collect sometimes they sell things sometimes they don't but Sometimes they do. And so it's really helpful to have like a little calculator. Like if I wanted to sell something on eBay, if I was like rolling through the clearance aisle of Walmart or Target, you know, okay, so this is how much I can get it here with taxes. This is how much it would cost me to buy it. This is how much I see that it's sold in the last two or three listings, like on average, you know, and it's, and this was all sold in the same day. So, you know, this is something I could probably pretty easily sell. Like, is there margin in this? So nice. Nice. Yeah. So I I've been just like building these things because I want to expand my skill to build other things that are really cool that I have coming down the pipeline. But to myself, I'm kind of like, 
you know, as much as I need to be focusing on content because that's fun to do. It's cool. It's cool to like vibe with other cool people and, and meet them. And you're like, into the same stuff. Cause sometimes it's hard to find people that are into the same stuff as you. But now that we have the internet, it's so different, but, um, but, but it's hard too, because content creation, it takes time and it's not fucking easy. So what yeah, I'm yeah. doing is like with these projects that are like nerdy, nerdy based, like this profit calculator. Um, and, and, and eventually what I want to start doing is, is developing like a Pokemon binder, quote unquote. So what it is, is it can grab like the sales history for items, like cards, whatever in the past, like three months, six months, 12 months, you name it, you can see it kind of like a stock where it goes up and down, like on a trend line. Um, but then you can say, Hey, well, I own this card. So you can kind of like have it ping you to watch the market. So if you see, you know, big spikes or big drops, you can kind of get an idea of like, oh, okay, this, this card is really valuable right now. Maybe I might want to flip it. And then you go to the profit calculator and you do the thing. I mean, those, those things are free, but, but what I'm thinking about doing is, is because it takes so much coding work and there's a lot of like thought and, and mental, like mentalness that goes into it. I've thought, you know, why don't I, twitch myself coding just like why not why not just code it live you know mm. because you're still building content you're still building relationships but then you can actually show people like this is what i'm working on and this is pokemon because it's cool and you have like your own little binder so that's an interesting idea yeah i don't know i, I yeah, thought that's awesome yeah i need to figure it out i i need to figure out twitch i haven't really done twitch before so i need to learn that just just uh prepare yourself for the comments because they can be quite vicious sometimes <laughs> no like like mean um not 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 mean i think if you're a girl you're just going to get more perverted comments stuff like that oh i see what you're saying yeah mm -hmm. I, I i've heard i've heard of that i've heard um the the female gamers on Twitch, they tend to get a little bit more attention. I, I heard that if you're trying to like actually make that a thing, you know, and, and, and try to be like, Twitch is my thing where I can make income. I heard women in general tend to grow a little bit more quickly than guys because, well, we're girls and we play video games, which apparently people don't think is common, but it, it kind of is. So... Mm -hmm. I've heard. I'm not too much into that world, but um, from afar, it, it always has seemed pretty interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just going back to your point, I, I wanted to say like, um, yeah, I mean, I I would just kind of, just my two cents would be like, you know, what do you find most passionate? Like if, if you enjoy coding more than interviewing people for now, like do that. Cause you're still, you're so, so young, maybe in six months after you've completed the, the tracker, the calculator, then you can do something else. So you have time is, is all I'm saying. Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's so many things you can do. Like there, there's so, there's so many different apps. I can't even keep track. Like, like I said, told you earlier, I, I'm actually not on TikTok. I, I just, I, I, I got TikTok one time and I fell down the rabbit hole and it, it was eating up my day and I had to, I had to delete it 
I needed to get work done. <laughs> I totally could, understand. Yeah. But that that's awesome. So then we, um, you know, like with TikTok, so how big are you now with your followers? Cause you've been doing the, you've been doing TikTok for how many, did you say six months? Uh, so I went hard in March. Okay. So it's been about seven months. Seven months. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. How many followers are you at now? I'm at 17,000 now and still growing fairly rapidly. That is awesome. Do you like TikTok? So is it, is it fun to make the content? Like, has it been kind of hard, I guess? Because uh, the content is so different. Like you said, it's, you, you, they digest it fast and you've got to hook someone right away. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of that like social media nerd or, or uh, fanatic. Um, and so I, I'm really into like anything new because if it hits, it'll hit big. And TikTok did hit big. So um, I think um, it was hard as is any platform because you have to be very creative uh, just to get noticed, but it was easier than other platforms because when you're more, I wouldn't say I was first to market, but I was earlier than others, there's less competition. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say it, it was, it's fun and it's also kind of, at first it was difficult, but once you find something that works and you can duplicate, then it's, it's fairly smooth sailing from then on. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, from that perspective and, and because you're super into business too, I know the future of TikTok has been a little bit up in the air from like an actual business perspective and, um, like, so with the with the dealings that have been going on right now, because I think it was Oracle. Yep, yep, Oracle bought it. Them, yeah, which is funny. Like Oracle is an enterprise like solutions company. Um, it's just so <laughs> ironic that they. I don't know. Where do you think TikTok is gonna go? Like, do you think TikTok is in a bubble right now? Has it? Is it? As it has it hit its peak or like? What are your thoughts? Oh, it's not in a bubble. It is still climbing rapidly. Um, I've just seen the growth of so many accounts and celebrities on there. Like uh, certain people just get it. Like Jason Derulo in particular. Uh, I would say he, ever since like 2019, he's been going hard on there. He'll post like these very elaborate sketches that clearly take him hours every day. And so he's really investing on there and it's paying off. Like he's, he's like, a, I think he's top 15 most followed now cool and and so I, I think there's a lot of room to grow since it's still a new app and there's still a lot of people i see coming onto there from other places i've been uh, really immersed into it because i'm helping other influencers get onto it mm. um and i'm also kind of like checking the news checking the bands and like the tiktok band and the the politics behind it just to see what happens but um like it's not getting banned, which is great news, which means it's going to skyrocket. If it did get banned, something would have taken its place because it's a, there's, it's a market that needs to be filled. And so like if it went either way, whatever app that does that thing, that 15 second thing, um, 
there's a lot of growth and, and now it's like people are saying it's a the people who say it's a fad they've never really seen it natively there are people like charlie d'amelio or i think his name's justin michael who are making a lot of money from brand sponsorships on it oh hey go them go them do it yeah <laughs> do it um I, that that's a really good point honestly um when it comes to like what you said like at at its core it is it's there's a need for 15 seconds like there there's that there's a market need that there's a need for that so wherever fits that need best is going to reign supreme and um I know that there are a few uh, YouTubers that I follow that talk about just YouTube creation in general um, and like the process and how to grow a channel and things like that because I find YouTube to be really interesting. I've been on it for so long. I love it. Um, it's amazing. Um, I mean, as, as like a user. Um, so um, a lot of them have been talking the gloom and doom of TikTok getting banned. And now it just seems like it's going to be in a different server. Like it, like there's going to be three different versions of TikTok is what it seems like. I don't know how true that is, but it, they were telling me that it's not necessarily owned per se by Oracle, but it's facilitated by Oracle. So there's the American version. Um, and then there's the, the Chinese version, and then there's the everyone else version, which I thought was interesting. Um, and you know, honestly, when you think about like privacy and, and for example, last year, the rules in Europe with the GDPR on the data that's being collected and then how that data is being used um, from users, I wonder, I don't know, I, I think it's really interesting that this has happened to TikTok where it's splitting up into the three and being used in the three ways and then data is probably being collected differently, I would say. It, it, it would sound like it, with those three versions, I wonder if, you know, for example, if the U.S. starts to get super stringent on data, it's it hasn't happened anytime soon, only in California, but curious to see if it starts to split up platforms because of, uh, you know, those privacy things. I know, like for my company, for example, we had a moment where we freaked out with the GDPR because like, how does that affect us? How does that affect our data? Mm. Um, you know, what, what do we, like, are we breaking the law? <laughs> it was really what we were trying to figure out. Are we breaking the law? So I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if you have any, well, if you have any insight on that, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think um, data privacy, first off, is very important for users. And, you know, I obviously understand that as well. So, I, you know, I think it's starting to kind of like sprinkle in, like we're starting to see Facebook make changes. Pokemon Go, I think they made some data privacy changes. Uh, Google as well. I think they, they had like this big hearing with like the, the government or something where I saw like Zuckerberg and Bezos and everyone as a part of it. So I think... It'll probably sprinkle in through that, um, but I, I don't think like the big gloom and doom um, uh, news is always the most accurate. Like I had so many people uh, tell me like, hey, they, they would message me and say, oh, TikTok's getting banned for sure this time because there's a lot of back and forth rumors for, for months on end. 
And each time that turned out false. And so I got more and more skeptical of like people saying, oh, this time for sure. And now it seems like Oracle has bought them out and they're not getting banned. So I think, you know, regardless, um, we're going to try and do the best thing for our users in terms of privacy, which is, of course, important. And some type of app is going to be there. Uh, So like even if it goes away, it's not the end of the world. Um, And I'm also empathetic to the people who are really scared that TikTok's going to go away because some of them have built their livelihoods as influencers on there and they're having a hard time translating that following onto onto Instagram or YouTube as a, as a backup. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, But I I think as far as GDPR and CCPA, those are at least for U S companies relatively minor. I think if we have to look out for anything, it's going to be, um, any big updates that Google or Facebook or Apple or, uh, or TikTok make. And I, I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. If, if they do, they're, they're going to be gradual updates to the, to the servers. It's not going to be a, um, you're banned in one and a half months if you don't sell away your business <laughs> um, because we don't want to use you anymore. Um, yeah, I hope that situation doesn't come up again because it's kind of unfortunate um, for TikTok having to freaking scramble and try to figure something out within those deadlines and, and whatnot. Yeah, there, was, um, there were people crying uh because they were scared they're going to get banned mm-hmm. or they, they would open the app the next morning and it'd be gone. Um, because uh, so there's this one girl, she has 14 million followers and she did this, she did this whole heartwarming goodbye and stuff. Oh, and she, yeah. she uh, it, it was very interesting. And I mean, sad to see that, but Luckily, she's not banned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Luckily, she's not. Um, I'm kind of, I'm surprised that, um, I'm surprised that the influencers that you've been uh, speaking with, or I guess watching as well, um, are having issues translating, um, you know, that success on TikTok to other platforms. Because I kind of feel like, at least with Instagram, you might be able to do a little bit of that, like, a little bit of what TikTok does, like, you know, because you can have the short and sweet video and then it's a feed. And so you're just scrolling. So I'm surprised that the success isn't translating. I wonder if that has to do with the algorithm um, on Instagram versus TikTok. Definitely. Algorithm and many, many other things. Um, saturation on Instagram is a, another huge thing. There's just too many people on there competing with you. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. That that definitely makes sense, but um, well, I mean, shoot, I think we've covered a hell of a lot. Um, I I think I don't know. I'm down for it, but if you're ever down for it, I, I'm I'd love to do this again. We should like reconnect in a few months to see where your collection is at. You can show off all your stuff, and you can let us know like what you're planning to get sent out. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, if you're down, I'd be down. Yeah, sure. I'd love to uh, give you an update on my Pokemon collection. That works. That works. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, at least, um, you know, sitting, sitting with us, uh, 
like super, well, not really super late, but on a Saturday night. So I really appreciate you giving me the evening. But anyways, um, if there's anything else you wanted to say, like share your, like all of your socials, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Will Chow, C-H-O-U. Uh, if you want to uh, get Pokemon Go tips, um, you can find me on Instagram at No Excuses Will. And that will kind of lead you to wherever else. Like I have links in my bio to my, my blog and everything else. Awesome. Cool. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much and uh, have a good night. It was good talking. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye.